0: You know it's a good hug when he messes up with your headphone there. (laughs) Now that was a bro hug. Um, Yeah, we're going to talk about theological education and missions. You might not have noticed that that's a little bit of a theme here this week um, and in this conference, and it's a privilege to be be back. I can't see any of you, so I'm going to pretend like I can see you. And uh, we want to be talking about I, th- I think we'll get this to work here. Is it on? I think it's on. There we go. Theological Education and Missions. And our family has... Uh, let me see. Which one is it working? There we go. Now i got to go back a little bit. There we are. There's the family, and uh, they're not all here, just me. But my wife and my daughter Lydia and Abigail... Uh, Some of you remember last time, Abigail was the one who had been sick and almost died, and we're all doing well, but our our story briefly has been that we came from the field for health reasons for our kids, and during that time, traveled back and forth to Papua New Guinea to help out some, and in getting ready to go back the last time to Papua New Guinea after Abby had her 10th surgery, we realized that Kelly's parents needed some help, and so we've been now permanently reassigned down to Yuma, Arizona with the idea that we can travel back to Papua New Guinea as, as experts in the educational field. And I say expert, not because I'm an expert, but just because we've been there long enough. I was the headmaster of the Bible college there in, in Papua New Guinea. And here's the 20-acre campus. We had many buildings added and stuff, but the big thing there was, was working with the churches you see, it says Training p g for the Lord's Ministry, and we, we like to say that we're helping churches train leaders for the, for the ministry there in Papua New Guinea. And we're going to be in the Bible a little bit tonight, and I'm also going to share some from Papua New Guinea as we're going through this. But it's been our privilege to be in Papua New Guinea, and, and we kind of ended up there because um, I came from a family where education wasn't all that big. My dad quit school in fifth grade, and my mom 13 when she got married. And when somebody in our family graduated from high school, I was one of those guys. It was like, hey, man, you went farther than anybody else. But I had a pastor that kept encouraging me to go to Bible college. And in Bible college, I, I kind of was blown away to see this book opened up for the first time and to know that God's doing something in the world. It just wasn't that He got a hold of my life, but He's trying to do that around the world. And so I wanted, as I started thinking about life and ministry, I wanted to be able to get involved in a field where they had a Bible school because it meant so much to me. And so that's how we ended up in Papua New Guinea, and I thought, you know, at least we could be multiplying leaders. But as I was thinking about the topic of theological education and missions, you know, you start thinking about it, and it's kind of a complex issue. Do I talk about it from the standpoint of missions? Do I talk about it from the concept of theology, discipleship? How do you begin to talk about it? And there's so many ways in which we can talk about it. But we could go back to this one. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe everything that I command you. Now, if I had a microphone, I could just kind of go, boonk, and drop the microphone, because right there, discipleship is learning, teaching others, becoming a, a disciple of Christ and following in His ways. And obviously, the last part says teaching, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So what does that entail, teaching them? That's, that's more than just teaching content, and so being on the mission field, it was like, I'm... I wanted to be involved in some of that. And you think about, think about what that means in lots of ways. It went from the, from the church's early going on to just considering there are two conditions of man, either lost or saved. And a lot of early missions was going to save the lost. And it was about numbers. It was about converts. It was about all of that. But early missions sometimes overlooked the aspect that Matthew 28, the Great Commission was not about getting converts. It was about making disciples. Converts is just assumed we've got to do something beyond just getting people saved and having the right relationship with God. Now, this passage I put up there because it, it actually talks about the Pauline cycle because the church kind of went from just getting people saved to the strategy of, well, we've got to start churches. And, and if you follow the yellow, it says, this is Paul in Acts 14, after they had preached the gospel to that city... What did they do? verse 22, the next section that's up there, it says they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And down below the next yellow is they appointed elders for them in every city. They go and preach the gospel. They strengthen and form churches, and they appoint elders. And so a lot of church ministries overseas became the emphasis. If you're not church planning, some churches said you're not doing the ministry. Well, you know, I remember talking to a guy and saying, well, at a Bible college, I could train pastors. And if I train pastors, they can be involved in how many churches as opposed to me going over and just starting a church? Now, this is not to deny church planning. Church planning is a necessary part, but so is training leaders and being involved with the next generation. So this was one aspect of missions that was kind of like our history. You know, we think about missions and the mission history, we have an ongoing need for training the leaders. You know, and this is one of ABWE's models, multiplying leaders, churches, and mission movements. If we could create the leaders that can lead the churches and drive the ministry of the church forward, then we're going to see missions movements and missions started by the churches. And so that's one of the things that that this whole idea of theological education on the mission field is about. It's about having a whole program. And at the Bible College, we don't just teach theology and doctrine and how to preach and how to how to do evangelism. We have character requirements for our graduates. So you don't meet certain character qualifications since they're thinking about going into ministry. You can't graduate from our program. And that's, that's measured through the years as they, as they go. And we have several... Programs two year up to four years plus we have some continuing education programs and the idea is is I'll be able to go back and be one of those teachers that I used to recruit so our field said we would like the Melsons to come back and help be in this process of multiplying leaders and to teach at the Bible College and so the plan is is when we're fully supported I'll be going back for about three trips a year to teach some classes and help out in other areas of the of the ministry and as we think about that we always end up with this kind of a verse, too. 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And, you know, you, you, you can go through and you see there's four levels in this. So when we think about this passage. It starts with Paul, and he's writing to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. Now, he, he writes him, and, and, and he tells Timothy, I've, I've, Spoken and you've traveled with me, you've heard me, all kinds of things have been going on in my life and ministry. You've been with me, and those things that you have heard, Timothy, pass to faithful men, pass from those faithful men to others who will also be able to train others. And so, you know, if if we had a, a, a few extra minutes and the lights were actually on, I would probably have you do a little doodle at your table. Draw this picture. you would see this picture. And it might look something like this, right? You might do something like that. And I think this is a valuable exercise for you to do, but I don't think it's just valuable to see this as a biblical model, but I think it's a, you need to put some names into this. Who would you add into there? If you're a Timothy, who's the guys that are under you? Who's the faithful men that you're working with? Who are the others in the next level? And see, as this gets passed on, it, it kind of self-propagates. And you know, if I gave you this assignment and, you, and asked you to start putting in names, that's starting to get a little personal now. But we probably ought to be doing this because this is the pattern that we see in the Bible. This is what Christ did. This is what others did. This is what Paul told Timothy. This is what Paul did. And it's throughout the New Testament. Now some of you, if you were like maybe overachievers, you might, it might look like this. I think I see... Uh, is that Jeff Williams over there? He probably did this whole picture there, Jeff. Anyway, uh, we could put other people that are in the Scriptures. You know, like I looked at this, this thing, and I, I noticed Apollos wasn't in there. They worked with Priscilla and Aquila. Now, if I had given this assignment to my wife, this is probably what she would have done, okay? She really likes to do uh, chalkboard art, and this is, this is actually our Bible verse. The things that you have heard from me in the very top, in the presence of many witnesses, and trust of faithful men who would also teach others. But in this passage, the Second Timothy 2 passage, we also have five principles I want to talk about just for a few minutes. Now, these principles, uh, you could expand them up to eight or ten or depending upon how smart you are, and there's smarter guys in this room than me. We could have a long time and, and we could have a class on each of these. But I, I want you to think about this, this passage, that there's a doctrinal base to what he's saying. When, when he says, the things that you have heard from me, he's talking about stuff. You know, content, a body of knowledge. Now, I'm looking for my, my passage here because there's some others right around there I want to look for in Second Timothy chapter 2. So, we're in Second Timothy chapter 2, and I want to think about this. It says, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will also be qualified to teach others. So those same things that, that he's learned, they're, they're to pass those on. And if we think about, think about this, this is, this is a concept that is actually in, in the Scriptures. I brought this one page because it had, we're not going to read all these, but there's both sides. These are verses that actually talk about the idea that there's a, a body of knowledge or there, that there's a, a doctrinal content to, to working in the church and what Timothy himself is to pass on. See, we pass on all kinds of things, but sometimes we don't pass on everything that's, that, that's needed. Here's, here's a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, I praise you for holding on to the tradition just as I passed on to you. The things that I taught you that are, are the Christian ideas, I praise you that you've holding on to those. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received uh, and what you have taken your stand they 're standing for something as as believers if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you there 's a content there 's a substance to that word that was preached' to be faithful in, in holding on to that for what I received I passed on to you as first importance that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and so he 's telling him this is one of the foundations of our faith hold on to this don 't let it go and that 's kind of what he 's telling Timothy we instructed you how to live in order to please God, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. There's instruction that he gave, a body of instruction that we have to hold on to. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Now, the Thessalonians got a couple of letters from Paul, but we, we have all the inspired letters from Paul. I think those things kind of apply to us too. All of these letters are things that we ought to be passing on to others. Got a whole bunch of verses on the back here. You know, I, I don't want to read them all, but I do want to read them all. First Timothy. Timothy, guard what was entrusted to you. Now that's the previous letter he wrote to Timothy. We're in 2 Timothy. And God kind of saying uh, through Paul that this doctrine, this book that we have on which we stand is so critical that we hold on to it, that we protect it, that we guard it. You think about even in this book right here where we're at. Let me think here. Just a few verses before 2 Timothy 2, in verse 13 and 14. Paul says, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Timothy, there's this this doctrinal base to what we're doing. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And he goes on to talk a little bit later. He says in chapter 13, 3 of 2 Timothy. He says, You, however, know about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, the faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, all these things that I went to. He's he's painting a a picture to Timothy that the, the base of stuff that I'm teaching you is based on the life that I've lived, the teaching that I've demonstrated. The sufferings I've went through, there's doctrine in that that who I am as an apostle, and what I am as a minister of the gospel of Christ, he said in 2 Timothy, Timothy, you've witnessed all these things, but you've got to pass it out on to someone else. Now, if we read a little farther in chapter 3, it goes down, but, but, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of it more and more because you know from whom you learned it. Now, this is Paul talking to Timothy. <laughs> who, who am I? You know, am I, I'm not the Apostle Paul. But but as I pass something on to others, and as God's given me that privilege in Papua New Guinea, I, I have to take this very, very seriously, that this is not just a biblical pattern, but it's what we're supposed to be doing. If we're not doing it, I think we're lacking. And this goes right into that section. You know, you know from whom you learned it, Timothy. And then that verse That talks about the importance of the Word. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's just a couple verses later. And he says it's useful for teaching. That's what we're talking about, right? Teaching on the mission field? We've got to teach our believers how to use the Word in this way. Now, it's not just about teaching content or, you know, hey... The books of the Bible, you know, Genesis, Genesis, uh, Numbers, Jesus, Army, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First of Samuel. We could go through and quote that really fast, right? And we can know where to find stuff. But it's not just about the content; it's about having a biblical worldview as we face whatever comes up in life. It's good for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and full. And it's just a little bit later after that. That Timothy is told, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Uh, this idea uh, uh, of teaching has a doctrinal base that stands upon the very idea that this is the word of God. And it's for every area of our life. And Paul says, Timothy, I've taught you this. Now, you need to to teach others. There, there, there's another area. It's relational. Now, when we think about relational, you know, I mostly just want to say that this happens in the context of relationships. Paul, you know, worked with Timothy, took Timothy on various mission strips, and they work hand-in-hand hand with each other. We look at, at, at Jesus and His disciples. They walked together. They lived together. They ministered together. And it was an ongoing relationship that provided the context for this training and this teaching that was going on. And I wonder if we in America have lost this compared to some other countries. There's nothing wrong with our houses and our yards and and everything that we have of our own, but I live right next door to a village in Papua New Guinea when I'm there. And that village lives together. And what does it look like to live out the gospel there? What does it look like to be really close to your neighbor and have them know everything that happens in your family? Because they can hear it through the walls of your hut. Now, somebody was asking me before the service, is your mic on? You know, because be careful what you say, your mic might be on. And it's like, I'm not worried about my mic being on, but I'm worried somehow that in our Christian lives, we don't have the kind of relationships that naturally lead themselves to discipleship and growing and encouraging and admonishing and rebuking and helping. The way that, that Paul told Timothy, this is what you have to do. Now, part of the the doctrinal base we didn't even talk about was pastors are to to be able to teach. They're supposed to be able to do these things. And if we're looking at advancing the church of Christ, we have to have men and women who can can do this. And it, it doesn't just happen because we attend church. It happens because we work towards it in relationships. And that's what they're trying to do. The things that you heard from me, commit to others. Now, you, can't, you don't know what's going to happen with the next generation, perhaps, but, but I've been taught some things. I'm responsible to pass those on. And who are those people? So this exercise of maybe doing that diagram and putting some names in there is very important. We know some things that we should be passing on. Are we doing that? That's part of what this passage is. And are we doing that? The relationship's intentional. Mitt. These things to faithful men. You have to know who you're working with. 2 Timothy 2.2. Commit these things to faithful men. Not just commit them to anybody, but to the right people. Who are those right people? How do you know they're the right people? You've had the relationships with them. You're working in their lives. And you're, you know what's happening in their life. So that, you know, an example from Paul maybe telling Timothy is, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Now, Timothy was a pastor, but apparently he, he didn't have the gift of evangelist, or maybe Paul wouldn't be telling him that. But he knew enough about Timothy to say, Timothy, you've got to be doing this work. And we have to be intentional in our relationships to, to be nudging the guys that we're working with and the women that we're working with in the right way. And, you know, obviously I don't even have to say this, but it starts in our own families. It's also a practical Ministry of passing it on. It's practical because you look in the verse, it says, teach these things to faithful men. How do you know they're faithful? And how do you know that they'll be able to teach others? Because you have that relationship, it's intentional, you work with them and you know what kind of people they are. You know that they're already doing it. Uh, we have internship programs over in Papua New Guinea and in those internship programs, you know, guys have to pass their, their internships to graduate. If they don't pass, pass them, they will can't graduate or they have to retake an internship. What's What are they lacking? What do they need? And and this idea of finding faithful and reliable men, finding trustworthy men or women who can take this on means we have a relationship there and we know and they've been tested and proven and we're trying to take them to the next level in their life. We have in America the danger of being in a church for 40 years but being not a 40-year-old Christian but a one-year-old Christian who's had 40 years of that same year repeated over and over again. Who are those people that are going to grow? Who are the ones that are... If I'm involved in their life, I need to find them and I need to know that they're going to be capable of doing that. Another another point is that it's generational. Generational and cross-generational. This isn't just me teaching one person and this is all I'm doing. This is a vision for the future that goes well beyond that person. It's a link to... Someone else who knows that the Christian life is about passing it on. And so they're going to pass it on. And then they're going to pass it on. Uh, One of the quotes I I read about about this very idea is, The teacher then is a link in the living chain which stretches unbroken from this present moment right now when I'm teaching somebody. It stretches unbroken back to Jesus Christ. And the glory of this kind of teaching is that it links the present with the earthly life of Jesus Christ and His ministry on the earth where He taught His own disciples. And they continued on and were faithful. And we're doing the same thing when we're passing it on. So what does it look like? You can think about passing the baton. Everybody has a leg and, and it gets passed on and, and I can't run the next one but I can prepare the runner and I can do everything I can to make a good handoff so that it goes smoothly and that they can finish the race well. My segment may be done and, but somebody else can take it farther than I could, ever could have. It's not about my kingdom. It's about Christ's kingdom. It's not about what God could do necessarily in, in my life that, that my life might be elevated. It's what He wants to do in the world which is to bring all of us to a level of maturity and growth and, and perfection in Christ Jesus our Bible school has 440 graduates. I want to say how, how does this relate to what we 're doing in Papua New Guinea? About seventy percent of those are in ministry in something like about 160 churches you know some of those are, are uh, defined differently by people, but you know there are at least some of those are started and then, you know, that's pretty good if you think about it. If we're involved in teaching and working with churches to train the next generation, and my time there, we could say ABWE's got somewhere over about 160 churches, that's pretty good. We've had about 40 missionaries over the years for in total in Papua New Guinea, but 160 churches through the ministries of the Bible College uh, alone. I'll talk about one guy in particular, Pastor Cliff, because these are the kind of guys that we have. Guys like Pastor Cliff, and I have a few notes about his life, but I don't want to read all of this, but his father, one of his, one of his, his, let me think, his grandfather, I think it was his great-grandfather, moved into the area around Garoka where we were from a different area, and he was a warrior. He was such a fierce warrior that, that they gave him the name, the Great Warrior. Now, he translated it, and he told me a few other things about this guy, but he was really feared when he moved into that area. And uh, he had 13 wives after he moved into that area because he was such a great warrior. Everybody wanted to make alliances with him, and they married off their daughters and all kinds of stuff. Several generations later, when Cliff came around, they have been fighting. Sorcery's been in their life. No religion that we would understand of from the standpoint of a biblical understanding, a biblical idea. And he ended up in a little church called Bethsaida, which happened to be pastored by one of our graduates. And he started listening to this guy, and he said, what this guy's talking about makes sense. As I look at my life, and we're a kind of a warrior clan, and we kind of have this reputation, you know what that leads to? It leads to broken families. It leads to murder, it leads to tribal warfare, and it's not a stable life for our people. And he's looking at what's been encouraged by generations of his family and saying, isn't there something more? And it's interesting how God worked and brought him into Pastor Eleva's domain there at Bethsaida Baptist. And he he was saved through the ministry of that church and uh, was discipled for three years by Pastor Eleva, and he ended up coming to GBBC with a sixth-grade education in our Pigeon program. So sixth-grade education for him, and for many of his people, he thought he was pretty high, since many of his families didn't have that. But he did well in our Pigeon program, and by the time he graduated in in, uh, 1996, he had taken some classes in English, because we helped to elevate his standard of learning. And Cliff was like, well, what am I going to do now? And he went back to his, his church he got saved in, was youth pastor for three years, still single, didn't, didn't marry, and he went for nine years to Bonds Baptist up in another province, another six years at Joy Baptist in Minge. And this is a picture of him in the advanced, uh, our, we call it our bachelor's, is our intermediate program to help guys get, earn master's degrees in the country. As part of the ongoing continuing education program, here's here's here he is with about twenty other guys taking classes in English. Not too bad from for for a guy that's raised in a in a situation where it's very difficult to get education, very difficult for anybody in his family to move forward. And so, Pastor Cliff graduated 2014. I was there, and and if I remember right, I was saying, "Don't you remember where where this was at?" and uh, I remember telling him don't give up don't give up on on your studies because if you keep going no telling what God might do with you and and he was going yeah yeah I remember that in a, in one of the assignments for one of the classes over there I had him do a family history that's where I learned all these things about Cliff's family and how many kids and how much trouble they had and how many had been killed in tribal warfare and how many of them had been sick and died and the problems of marriage and family and all those things and, and Cliff Remained single, single, single. The only one in his family that didn't get married. Almost everybody else had, had, had serious relationship issues. But, but he didn't, didn't get married because he's like, I'm going to serve the Lord. And, and in his family tree when he did it, all these different marriages and, and two and three wives here and four wives here and 13 for that grandfather. he put it on this piece of paper. I don't know if you could see it, but, but right down here. It says Cliff at the top, not married. What does it say? Gospel warrior. This guy, if he were to shake your hand, he would crush it. And I'd always have to, whenever I shaking his hand, I'd always have to like get my hand ready because if I didn't hold myself really, really, really tight. But he's been that gung-ho about serving the Lord. He's been on the, the, the Bible college committee. He's done all kinds of things. And you know, at the Bible College, this is also one of the things that amazes me because Cliff, with his background and what he had, given a little bit of training, a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of discipling, has done so much for the Lord. And this is what happens every graduation. We bring our guys up, and you can see some of them aren't, aren't too excited to be there. Some of them are holding their heads down. These are guys we're kind of honoring as examples for 20 years of ministry since they graduated from the Bible college. So you think about 20 years of ministry, what would that be like? And I was thinking about these guys. The last time I was there and saw some of these guys, I felt so bad that we're just giving them the new Bible because they need so much more to, to, to help them in their lives and ministries. One of these guys, you know, came and and said, like, like, my house burned down. The only thing we have is our family. We're starting over. But God is good. And he sang a song about God being good, and he cried through the whole thing. And these are the guys that I get to work with. These are the guys that I lift up as examples, and I say, you know, we need to be like this, people that are looking to Christ and looking to honor Him, who are passing it on to the next generation. And I just want to do a quick exercise here, because we're, we're nearing the end. I was thinking about this, and I whipped out my list of all the different graduates that we had, and I started counting them, because I had cataloged this, just trying to, trying to figure it out. And in reality, in reality, we have a, a few that have been there serving the Lord for 20 years. You know how many there are? There's 67 graduates who have been serving the Lord at least 20 years or more. Some are past thirty now. Now you have a. Do anybody have a calculator out there on your phone? It's okay to get your calculator out and use your phone. What's sixty-seven times twenty? How much is it? One thirty-four. One thirty-four. What? It's more than one thirty-four years. Twenty times sixty-seven. One thousand three hundred forty years. Okay. Now, we have guys who been in guys, men and women who've been there for 10 years in the service of the Lord since graduating. We have 112 in that category. So how many is that? 1120. Add that to the to the 1340 and what's the number? What's that number? It's 2,460 years of ministry through a little tiny Bible school that has been understaffed. We need more missionaries. Every one of these guys would tell you we need more missionaries. And I've been working with Papua New Guinea for about 25 years. But these guys have over 2,000 years of ministry combined so what's the result of, of theological education on the mission field? It's over 2,000 years for an investment of about 25 years. Is that a pretty good investment? The sad thing is, is we in the States grew up with this heritage of theological education. We weren't even a country, and we inherited theological education. came from Europe. Came from the Reformation. Came from a lot farther back. With there, we've always had our churches and our training schools for 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 ministers. But you know what? The world doesn't have that. The Church of Papua New Guinea is not that not that old. Now there have been some Christians from for more than a, a hundred years ago, but the number of religious. Theological education schools that are helping to train the next generation and help to train pastors, help to train people think with a Christian worldview is really small outside of the United States. We need to commit what we know to faithful men who can, who can teach others as well. And I think we're doing that in Papua New Guinea. This gentleman that you heard from, Every one of us need your support and your prayers. Come and visit our tables. But if you think about it, when we think about how, how our resources, including those with theological degrees, that's some of the resources that the church in America has that the rest of the world doesn't have. We're lopsided. We have so much. And on a, on a theological level, an education level, we are so fabulously wealthy and we don't even know. it. We think this is what, what everybody should have you know what it is. But these guys need some help to get over there. We need more guys to come into it. And you think about it. When I think about how poor Papua New Guinea is, at first I thought, I'm just going to go multiply leaders. But there's a disparity between what we have in America and what they have. And the, one of the biggest areas where it's the, the, the church outside of America lacks is for theological trainers who can work with them in colleges and schools. On character, on biblical worldview, on biblical knowledge, on ministry skills. Because that's such a, a normal thing for us and, and not so normal for them. So here's the question. If you think about the disparity. If ten men are carrying a log, nine on one end and one on the other, and you want to help, which end are you going to help on? Because America, as, the, as part of the church in the world, we're the side with the nine people on it. And Papua New Guinea only has one person over there. Are you going to go help on? I can't wait to get back to Papua New Guinea. Because I know that guys like Cliff or Michael or Dex, these guys that are faithfully serving the Lord have been given just a little bit by me. And by God's grace, they've done so much more with it. And when we think of the harvest that's there and the harvest in some of these other places, uh, I want to close with with this right here an apple. If you harvest apples, God bless you. I, I, I love apples, especially with a little peanut butter on them. We can't get them very well in Papua New Guinea. But if I were to ask you to cut this open and ask you, can you tell me how many seeds are in this apple? That wouldn't be too hard to do, right? But when we take the seed of God's Word and we put it into somebody's lives the way that 2 Timothy 2.2 says, the question gets turned around a little bit. And we could say, in a spiritual harvest sense, how many apples are in a single seed? One single life that we touch and turn loose with, with some knowledge and a biblical worldview, something they didn't have before. Who knows what God's going to do with that? My children in Papua New Guinea, my brothers and sisters, I think the day's coming when we're going to stand before heaven and then you know what I think the scene's going to be? Is This fits pretty good. Like I'm looking at these bright lights and the throne's way over there. And I'm way back here. But I'm looking up there to see Jesus. And up there close is going to be Pastor Cliff. And Pastor Cliff's going to look back and he say, Brother Pat, Brother Pat, come on up here. Come on up here, Brother Pat. And, and, and he's got that place close to Jesus. And he's been so faithful. He's got a great reward. And he's going to tie me into that just a tiny, tiny bit. And then he's going to say something like, and bring all those people from the Treasure Valley Valley with you, because you guys have supported us and prayed for us, and you're a part of what we're doing over there. But we've got to pass it on. It's biblical, it's commanded, it works, and the next generation has no hope unless we do it. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful for your work in our lives, and I just pray and ask that we might think of somebody we can pass it on to. God, you didn't just bless us so that we can hoard it. You blessed us so that we might be a blessing to others, and so I pray for my fellow missionaries here tonight that are longing to get to the field. God, open the floodgates. Give them wisdom and and, and courage to walk boldly as you open the doors. And God, I pray that here in the Treasure Valley, we too would be business in business of passing it on to those around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Pat. Appreciate that challenge. So a question comes up, why do we do a banquet like this when it comes to the mission conference. And there's been a lot of suggestions out there. Uh, One is uh, just to see people from all over the valley. It's one of the events that we as churches get to come and and, uh, see some of the people from the other side.